there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's just a good game for guys to get their, their feet back under themselves and us as a team to make a statement, make some plays. Um, I'd never heard of the team, so I'm sure they're going to come in here and give us their best effort. Um, any team that gets to come into the stadium and play us is going to give us their everything, so we got to show up and give them everything we got. Hold on, wait. Nebraska wide receiver Wyatt Lever has never heard of the 1942 Sugar Bowl champions? Yes, indeed. Fordham has a Sugar Bowl to its name. The Rams beat Missouri that year by the lowest possible score in an American football game, 2 to nothing, in driving rain in New Orleans. Fordham didn't complete a pass. It blocked a punt for a safety. It shut down a Missouri offense that led the nation in rushing, running Don Farrow's split T, a precursor to the triple option. Alas, that was a long time ago. You're forgiven, Wyatt. Fordham football isn't something you encounter often on a regular old college football Saturday. It's kind of why I love this game. You're listening to the IID Preview Podcast, Huskers Rams edition. I'm Brandon Bogle. Let's talk some football. In the May issue of Hale Varsity, I wrote a column about why I have sort of a perhaps unnatural love for games like this. Uh, HaleVarsity.com, subscribe if you want to make sure you're not missing any of this stuff. But college football is great at taking us to out-of-the-way places you'd have little reason to visit otherwise. Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Fresno, California, Laramie, Wyoming, all examples of places Nebraska's played and, and great football atmospheres in their in their own right. College football is played in a ton of great places throughout the country, most of them out of the way. What makes Fordham interesting is they're situated right there in the heart of the Bronx, just practicing away. Their media guide includes directions from three airports and information for a car service if you're coming in to cover a game. I probably won't have the opportunity to to cover a Fordham game, a Fordham home game that is, in person, but I do like the idea of flying into LaGuardia hiring a car service and showing up in some blacked out automobile, dropping in and walking straight up to the press box. City football such as this is what stands out in in the college game. And I also love the opportunity for a program like this to get to go to one of the cathedrals of the sport, Lincoln, Nebraska, and experience that. So while I'm sad that that opportunity was not in the cards for Southeastern Louisiana this time around, uh, it is for Fordham, and, and that's pretty fun. Practically speaking, however, these games do present a bit of a challenge. There's not a ton us as observers can, can take from a game like this. I mean, it, it's almost a ridiculous standard for Nebraska to have to hit. The only thing that impresses is coming out and winning impressively or exactly like they should against an FCS opponent. Uh, There's a lot of hidden danger there, not a ton of upside other than, well, given the way things went last week, this might be the sort of game that this program needs at the moment. Because Fordham is a FCS opponent, as of midweek, there was no official line on this game. 
typically later in the week with some of these FCS matchups, you can hunt around a little bit and find one somewhere, but it's about where you'd think it was. Sagarin ratings are very good for well a number of reasons, but the primary reason I look at them is because they rank FBS and FCS teams in one big group, which always uh, gets a little bit interesting once you start seeing uh, which FCS teams are, are leapfrogging FBS teams. That happened to Nebraska after its uh, season opening loss at Illinois. The Huskers were 57th a week ago, dropped to 108th after the loss to the Illini. That's now behind three FCS teams, South Dakota State, James Madison, and North Dakota State. But it's not behind Fordham. The Rams opened the 2021 fall season. They went 2-1 and one in the spring, ranked 216th in Sagarin. Do the math with the predictor rankings there, and that metric would have the Huskers as about a 35-point favorite on Saturday at 11 a.m. Let's dig into the Rams a little bit ahead of Saturday. This will be their first game of not 2021, but the 2021 fall season. Uh, And they kind of, based on the preseason Patriot League all-conference teams, uh, run that league to a degree. They've been slowly building things. Uh, Obviously, Joe Moorhead, former Penn State offensive coordinator, former Mississippi State head coach, and now Oregon's offensive coordinator, really kind of kicked things off there in a big way, and they fell back a little bit, but are are building things back up behind a pretty strong passing offense uh, in terms of players to watch. Two of those come from that faction of the game. First up is uh, quarterback Tim Dummerat. He's the Patriot League Offensive Player of the Year last year, and he's the preseason Patriot League Offensive Player of the Year this year. He ranked second in FCS last year, the 72.1% completion percentage, so pretty accurate. The average 31 completions a game. So they throw the ball quite a bit, uh, which will be something to watch out for Saturday. Second is a guy that will be somewhat impossible to miss, in my opinion. That's linebacker Ryan Greenhagen. Probably the Rams' best player. He had 22 tackles in just two games last year. And despite missing one-third of the season, in this case, they only played three, uh, was named the Patriot League Defensive Player of the Year. And... Like Dumarat, he is the preseason defensive player of the year this year as well. The third name to keep an eye on on Saturday is wide receiver DeKeese Carter. Fordham has both of their, their two leading receivers back. Um, Carter's kind of their big play guy. He had a breakout debut season in 2019 with 53 receptions for 723 yards. He bumped his yards per catch to 14.4 last year, so... Keep an eye on him as the Huskers try to keep things hemmed in. Flip it over to the Nebraska side of the game chart here. And there's no shortage of options in a a game like this. Number one for me, I put Garrett Nelson on the list. He had two and a half tackles for loss versus Illinois, which is already over halfway to his 2020 total. Still some kinks to work out with his game, but the effort level and the kind of abandon that he plays with is is clear when he's out there on the field if he's a guy who can provide consistent pressure for nebraska that's going to be big against an offense that that wants to throw the ball quite a bit along similar lines um i debated on who to go with in the secondary because that's going to be a 
I think the the area of of Nebraska's defense that gets tested the most. And I'm going to go with Quentin Newsom. I had him on the list last week, but as a co-player to watch with with Braxton Clark, Newsom ended up taking all of those snaps at cornerback opposite of Cam Taylor Britt. Had a really nice open field tackle, which which was great to see. He was also the cornerback defending on the one long touchdown pass on Illinois for the day. And it was it was pretty good coverage. It was just a better ball from Arter Sitkowski, uh, which when he entered the game, I was like, okay. Thinking back to the Rutgers game, but he, he played really, really well on Saturday. Third on my list, um, I'm going to put quarterback Logan Smothers. Uh, not maybe for the reason you think. And I also think you could put Harburg here as well. If, if he's your guy that you think should be number two. But the point is, is if Nebraska's in control of this game early, which would be really beneficial on multiple fronts, Scott Frost needs to be quick with a hook on Martinez. I think 12 rushing attempts last week. That's minus the five sacks. Some of those were scrambles, but the point is, it's, it's a lot of wear and tear on, on Adrian Martinez. I don't think Nebraska needs that in this game. If they do need it, um, that's a massive problem against an FCS foe. As we've talked about previously on this show in previous editions, I think it's a general problem for the offense overall. They are really, really Adrian Martinez reliant, and that comes with, in some cases, a 75-yard scramble for a touchdown. It also comes with fumbles. Um, Talking about this in the preseason, uh, Adrian Martinez, you get up to that 15 carry mark and the numbers show there's going to be a fumble in there. This, this past week, he was at 17. If you, if you include the sacks in that, and there was, there was one fumble. It was a great play by Illinois defensively, but it was a player who's fumbled in the past, fumbling here again in the present and really made a big difference in that game. Speaking of that game, um, I wanted to take a quick look back at how the keys that I identified on this show last week held up for that. And I, I try to structure these to where they could go. They could go both ways. Um, if one of these things is happening, it's probably a good sign for Nebraska. If it's not, uh, probably probably a bad thing for Nebraska. And that was certainly the case last week. Uh, the, the first key was Nebraska's run game. I really expected them to be able to control the game. That way, um, we had the whole kerfluffle this week about Illinois in an odd versus an even front, what Nebraska prepared for, what it didn't prepare for, contingency plans, all of that. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit in the second half of the show, but point is Nebraska came out, wasn't able to run the ball early on and was trying to play catch up from basically the mid second quarter slash late second quarter on. It was, it was the the wrong way that this game needed to go for Nebraska offensively. So X on that one. My second key was Illinois success through the passing game. Saturday against against the Illini didn't alleviate any of the hesitation I entered the season with, with Nebraska's ability to defend the pass. When they were getting after the quarterback and, and getting pressure, things looked really good. And, and the defense overall played well enough to win that game. You give up 21 points, two go to the special teams, and seven go to the offense. 21 points should be enough to win you a Big Ten football game. Wasn't to be... 
Illinois' passing success rate wasn't great. Uh, as I mentioned, Sitkowski, the Rutgers transfer, came in and had one of the best days of his career. A day, to be quite honest, I didn't know if he was capable of having. So, so credit to him on that. Last was it was kind of a big picture key was Nebraska able to enjoy the edges it engineers and it, it really didn't engineer them to the level I would have expected. Uh, the Husker success rate was lower than it's kind of three year average of from the frost era. Uh, some of that, yeah, you can chalk up to not knowing what, what the Illini were going to do defensively, but Nebraska was just kind of all over the place. There was no consistent momentum for the offense. They stayed on schedule a decent enough amount, like good enough to, to win a game like that. But I would have expected the Huskers overall success rate to be way higher. So looking back on those three, I don't know if I'd give Nebraska a check mark in any of them. That'll take us to halftime. Here's Rusty Dawkins with Saturday's weather forecast for Lincoln. You can follow Rusty at Husker Weather on Twitter and visit hailvarsity.com throughout the week for continued updates. Hi, everyone. I'm meteorologist Rusty Dawkins with Hail Varsity and the I-80 Preview Podcast Weather Forecast. We've got a dandy one on our hands coming up this weekend. On Saturday, temperatures maybe a little below average, touch of fall in the air. It's, it's going to feel nice after those 90s last weekend. We'll take what we can get. But here's the hour-by-hour forecast. If you're out early, 6 a.m., mostly cloudy skies, maybe a stray shower, but I think those are coming to an end by 6 in the morning. Those temperatures on the cool side in the lower 60s. Then by 9 a.m., if you're out there tailgating, really nice. Middle and upper 60s, partly cloudy skies, a little bit of a north breeze at 5 to 10 miles per hour. As we head towards kickoff, by 11 a.m., temperatures in the lower 70s, partly cloudy skies, really a nice start to the to the day, uh, to the game. We're going to see those temperatures right around 70 degrees and not much of a north wind at 5 to 15 miles per hour. As the game progresses, as we head into uh, about halftime, around 1 o'clock in the afternoon, partly cloudy, a little warmer, upper 70s. Uh, I think we'll see a little more sunshine breaking out, a north wind at 5 to 15 miles per hour. Then by the fourth quarter, by the end of the game, Partly cloudy skies. Those temperatures should get into the lower 80s, so a little on the warm side. Uh, North wind helping us out at 5 to 15 miles per hour, but again, really helping us out. That dew point, it's not going to be very high. It should be in the lower, maybe the middle 60s. That will feel a lot better than it did last weekend. Keep an eye on my social media forecasts uh, on all of my social channels, RustyWX and Husker Weather uh, as well. I'm meteorologist Rusty Doggins. Go Big Red. How does Nebraska win more football games? Normally, this is a segment for how does Nebraska win this game? But look, if the Huskers don't win this game, it's a catastrophe of epic proportions. I mean, that is no disrespect to Fordham whatsoever, but everyone involved knows the score here, right? This game is what it is. Um, It's a game the Huskers should win. If you go by the Sagarin ratings, they're favored by five five touchdowns or thereabouts. That said, to, to get into the game a little bit before moving to some more big picture items, the Rams can challenge NU in some, some inter- interesting ways. It's a passing offense, and like I said, after last week, I still have some major questions about the Nebraska secondary and its ability to limit passing games. So that'll be something to watch. You hit a couple big plays there, get some momentum early, and all of a sudden you're not looking at the the sort of game this probably should be. 
The Fordham defense is also particularly good against the pass. Nebraska should be able to run the ball, but then again, I thought that last week too. Will they this time? Will they just come into this game, do what they know they want to get to, um, and they do want to be a run-first offense? Or is it a game where you know they run it, they're pretty balanced, they try to do a little bit of everything and work on it, and yeah, that can that can work too if, if everything's executing at a high level and the talent gap between these two teams is just that large, but you can get a little you can get into a little bit of trouble that way as well. Uh, you think back to the McNeese State game in 2014. Without a spectacular play from Amir Abdullah, Nebraska's going into overtime against an FCS opponent. Now, that McNeese State team, I think, was ranked in the 140s, 150s of Sagar in that year. We've got Fordham back in the 220. 220 range. Uh, so you just look at those two teams, 2014 McNeese, 2021 Fordham. And based on really the only information we have to base such things on that McNeese team was about 15 or 17 points better than Fordham is projected to be. That said in three games last year, the Rams had 38 points off turnovers and that was in just three games. So you know my my tortured relationship with turnovers. Uh, I try not to talk about them, but I can't stop talking about them. In a game like this, they are the quickest and easiest way for things to get uncomfortable in a hurry. That's the micro breakdown of Fordham. And with only three games to go on from, from last year, there's not a lot of kind of numbers to look at. Uh, that's always true early in a season, but particularly unique given what what happened to FCS teams last year and the fact that we're looking at one game worth of data for Nebraska last year and still heavily weighting everything we've seen prior to that. So for this one, I wanted to zoom out rather than zoom in. If the loss to Illinois felt maddeningly familiar for Husker fans, how does that change? One thing I'm afraid that can't change in in season, or at least it'd be very difficult to enact, is an intense focus on technique. And really that that should have started day one of the new era with with this coaching staff. But there's just there's not enough on-field evidence for me at the moment to to believe that it had. Here's here's a story on that. So over the summer, well really the spring, I started reading Bill Walsh's book, The Score Takes Care of Itself. Um, maybe the reasons for that are obvious based on the title, but that is very much my mindset when I when I look at football games. Uh, you know, there's so much randomness involved, um, and I'll tell you a little bit later about exactly how much randomness Bill Walsh thinks is involved. Uh, but you, you really have to focus on all of the things that you can control, and the results of these games can be a little bit arbitrary if you don't. But back to that book for a second. In the spring, I started reading it. I was dog-earing page after page for things I wanted to come back to. Uh, and then my wife and I were, were fortunate enough to, to have a son uh, in at the end of April. And that kind of derailed me. I put the book aside and didn't get back to it. Well, after Nebraska looked like it looked against Illinois... I picked it back up and it turns, off, turns out I had left off 
one page from an excerpt, I guess, from, from Walsh that, uh, <laughs> well, the timing of it was interesting. Let me just read it to you quick. This is from Bill Walsh's The Score Takes Care of Itself. Individuals or organizations can get almost mesmerized by pressure and stress and be unable to function as cleanly as they are capable of doing. It happens everywhere all the time. Have you noticed, however, that great players and great companies don't suddenly start hunching up, grimacing, and trying to hit the ball harder at a critical point? Rather, they're in a mode, a zone in which they're performing. And depending on their game, which they've mastered over many months and years of intelligently directed hard work. There's only so much thinking you can isolate and focus on during that kind of extreme competitive pressure. It has to be tactical more than a conscious effort to really try harder. That one really rung true with me, particularly after I had listened to Nebraska center Cameron Jurgens talk after the game. Uh, and it was, it was pretty evident, uh, that, that he was upset with, with how things had gone. He, he used some profanity, which, um, I personally am very much in favor for or favor of, but I won't repeat any of it here. But the part of his post game question and answer session that stuck out is, is he said, quote, we just want to win some games, quote, end quote, excuse me. I started to think about that in the context of, of the Walsh quote, once I had read it about 24 hours later. And I'm not trying to say there was a magic fix just lying in the pages of this book, but the timing was a little bit eerie. The thing is, with, with all of these successful coaches, they, they espouse a, a similar philosophy from Bill Walsh to Tom Osborne to Nick Saban to, to John Cook. Uh, Plug, pick up Dream Like a Champion, co-authored by, uh, by yours truly. Most coaching books I read, and you can tell from that, that quote where Walsh mentions business, I mean, this is very much structured as something that is a general leadership type of manual. Uh, but, but most of those books end up reading a, a lot the same. And, and they all have, a, a, in my experience at least, a variation of the same thing, which is don't be good at winning games. Be good at the craft and the wins will come. Trust your training, as, as John Cook says. In a more kind of boiled down way, it's the difference of valuing process over results, which is, you know, we hear so much these days, uh, process, that it, it's, it's almost become a cliche, but it's almost become a cliche for a reason. And I don't want to minimize you know, the challenges of preparing for an odd front and seeing an even front. I didn't play offensive line. Like, I don't know exactly what that's like, but I do know that if you're intensely and intelligently focused on technique, on, on being a good blocker, the gulf between those two things shouldn't be as wide as it looked, or as we were told this week, as things actually were for Nebraska. Excellent technique can help carry you over that gap, that gap. I sensed a good deal of desire and also pain in, in, in Jurgen's comments. The thing is, we just want to get some wins. That's about the outcome itself. I don't have a special window into how Nebraska teaches football. I have the same window you do the games on Saturdays. 
it's hard for me at least to make an argument that NU is truly process focused at this point. And I, I've thought this for a long time. You see teams pop up and have a special season. And I'm not talking about 2017 UCF here. I'm talking more generally, but you see these teams pop up and have a, a special season and it's, it's not sustainable. If you're not process focused, I think the ceiling is pretty low for any team in, in almost any sport. And we see this primarily with, with Nebraska's offense, where I would say the scheme remains strong. You know, I've, I've, I've talked a lot in the, the episodes immediately prior to this one. This offense is, is very close, I think, to being good, which might sound insane after last Saturday. But, but it is. There, I mean, it consistently engineers these advantages that good offenses tend to, to engineer. One of the things I've started to notice of late, however, it's rarely in control. Last week, I saw a tweet from Sports Source Analytics looking at the top 10 teams from 2018 to 20 in a metric they called offensive game control. And I mean, there's all sorts of like metrics you can create, um, look to look to add. But this this was a new one for me, and it's basically a combination of time of possession, first down efficiency third down efficiency, the percentage of manageable third downs you're in, so five yards or less, the percentage of third down plays as a function of all plays, you want fewer third downs, of course, and the percentages, percentage of drives ending in touchdown. Interesting enough, so I started looking around a little bit. I figured this would be a category that was dominated by the Wisconsin's, the armies, the Air Force's, of the world. And, and sure enough, those, those three teams were in the top 10, the full top 10 from one to 10 went like this air force, Ohio state, Alabama, army, Oklahoma, Texas, A&M, Ohio, Wisconsin, Cincinnati, and Georgia. That's 2018 to 20. So all of the frost era that we had at that point and special, special mention of Frank Solich for, for making it in there. Kind of amazing when you think about it. Pure triple option guy, went to Ohio, had to adapt to kind of modern day football, but still found a way to to control the game with his offense. I think I think that says something. So thinking about last Saturday with that kind of game control metric as a as a frame of reference here, Nebraska wasn't particularly good on first down. It's third third and manageable percentage was, was not strong. Um, it wasn't getting into third and five or less and it's third down percentage was a little below average, but the, but the big thing that stuck out for me upon a rewatch of that was Nebraska only had the ball for 25 minutes and that included a nearly seven minute drive at a time where the Huskers really needed one to happen quicker, uh, in the fourth quarter. As I dug in a little bit more to this, I realized that while there are some good things that Nebraska's offense does, it rarely feels like it's in control of the game. Even though Nebraska has been a good success rate team overall, which means it's staying on schedule more than most teams in, in college football, it didn't really match up in any of these specific categories. Granted, we're talking about the top 10 teams of the past three seasons. But I don't know that expectations for this Nebraska offense under Scott Frost were, were much below that. So maybe it is sort of a fair comparison. 
as I went through and tallied up all of these these categories for for Nebraska, as I mentioned, they they didn't really match up in any of them, but there were some some differences in the in the gaps between Nebraska and the top ten offenses of the the past three years. Like first down efficiency occasionally gets there, which help ex, helps explain Nebraska's good overall success rate. Third down not as far off as I. I would have thought touchdown drive percentage. Now that one is, and we, we know Nebraska has struggled to, to finish drives with touchdowns, but the biggest one was, was time of possession, which personally threw me for a bit of a loop. I remember at some point at big 10 media days when Bo Pelini was still the head coach, uh, he, he was asked what he gets, he gets a box score at the end of the game. What's the first number he looks at. And he said, time of possession, and at that point, in, you know, the early 2010s, I was kind of dismissive of it. I was like, eh, time of possession in an era where Oregon's doing what it's doing and football is changing. How much does it really mean? Looking at it through this lens, I think it could potentially mean quite a bit for, for Nebraska. Over the 31 games of the Frost era, Nebraska's 5-5 five and five when it wins time of possession. So... You're not uh, blowing the world away at 500, but you'd sure take it over where Nebraska's at overall right now. When it loses a time of possession battle, then if you do the math on that, that leaves the Huskers at seven and 21. Yes, some of this has to do with how Nebraska wants to play offensively. The 2017 UCF offense averaged just over 28 minutes of possession in that season. Oregon, when Frost was there, was consistently in that 27 to 28 and a half range. But those teams are scoring touchdowns by the boatload. Nebraska has 112 touchdowns in 31 games under Frost. UCF had 84 in 2017 alone. Oregon had 90 in 2014. If you're not going to put up point totals like that, it's going to be hard to consistently lose time of possession and, and win games. If, if this whole thing is built around an opportunistic defense, which here in the start of year four, it's looking like Nebraska's defense might even be, well, it's certainly ahead of schedule and might even be better than that. Like I, I really think they're going to be going to be strong against the run this year. Uh, but if this whole thing is kind of built with, We've got to get the offense here, and then the defense complements it. The offense isn't close of late. And some of that, sure, you want to play fast, and you want to get up and down the field, and you want the scheme to really take advantage of how opponents react to, to what you're doing. That's all fine and good. But looking at that top 10 list again, when Oklahoma and Alabama, which are two of the best offenses at getting up and down the field the past three years, are both averaging about 30 minutes of possession game, that tells me you can still be high-powered and put up a lot of points while maintaining some level of game control. Unlike the intense focus on technique, the kind of obsession with being at the being good at the component parts of winning rather than being good at winning itself, which is a change I, I don't think you enact in 
an off week or even a week off, a, a week between losing to Illinois and then playing Fordham the next week. That's that's kind of a big picture change. This offensive game control one it, it is one that I think Nebraska could at least experiment with if it wanted to. And it probably would come down to, or at least I would start, by, by altering the start of game strategy. Nebraska loves to take the ball first. And given that most teams defer, it often gets the ball anyway when it loses the toss. It's something of a mission statement. We're going to take the ball, go score, and get a lead. And that's all fine and good. Before the 2019 season, I wrote a big story in the yearbook about this, and it, it pencils out. There's some statistical basis for that. Having a lead is powerful. But Nebraska is not executing often enough to see those benefits. And it consistently feels like if you come out on that first drive, you don't score. Um, an opponent has the opportunity to then take the lead, but they also have the chance to, to double up. Another big thing in the analytics, college football analytics world, is the, the middle eight. So the four minutes before halftime, the four minutes after halftime. And Nebraska consistently gets killed in, in that part of the game. And if things break right, uh, the way they broke against Illinois, they have a chance to put points on the board, to have the ball right before halftime, and then get it back. Uh, it all adds up. You know, football is a game of taking turns, right? That's why turnovers matter so much, because you're forfeiting, forfeiting a turn, essentially. Uh, so you can look at that as doubling up, which effectively it, it becomes... And it, it's, it's really important to, to winning football games. But maybe Nebraska needs to not take the ball first. <laughs> you know, I think we're at this point where it's kind of like, let's rethink some of these things a little bit and, and see if it changes anything. Because to avoid being doubled up in those scenarios, you've got to make the most out of that, that first possession. And Nebraska just hasn't consistently enough for it to matter. So you start looking at... You know, and and it's tough once you get in season. You know, the changes you would hope to see at the start of a new year really were were kind of happening or or not happening back in April, back in May, in individual workouts throughout the summer. So it it's tough to to really turn the tide here. But that's a challenge that's facing Nebraska after losing the way it did to to Illinois. It's, I understand the, the frustration level for, for Nebraska fans, the way my mind tends to work, um, which, which can be infuriating at, at times is, you know, I look at this for as, as poorly as Saturday went, Nebraska lost by eight and that was with turnover margin was technically even, but when you factor in the Cam Taylor Britt interception that was wiped out by double penalties. Uh, that's basically minus one. It gave up nine points on, well, it gave up a touchdown defensively and it gave up a safety. It didn't have to all of that stuff, you know, another piece from that, that bill Walsh book. And, you know, I don't think this was based on any statistical analysis, just his, his years of expertise. He chalked football up to being 20% random. So luck, those things that happen 
and 80% you trying to be better than the other guy. And I don't know if those percentages are exactly right. It's impossible for them to be exactly right. But Nebraska football from 2018 on sure looks like a team defined by that 20%. After the Illinois game, I used my postgame column to, to write about that when Scott Frost said, and he said this on multiple occasions, the team feels a little bit snake bit, that they, they, they've never gotten the spark that they needed uh, to kind of get momentum and get things rolling. I understand that. And, and yes, randomness plays a role here, probably a bigger role than, than most people even think about or admit. But successful football, sustainable football, in my mind, comes down to reducing that amount of randomness to the utmost degree that you can. And unfortunately, Nebraska is still defined by that. I do think they can still have a satisfactory, even a good season. You know, you look at this and it's it's not safe to assume anything at this point, but win on Saturday, got another home game against Buffalo. Oklahoma game's going to be real tough um, on, on multiple fronts. The key really to, to Nebraska, assuming that the Oklahoma game goes like it does, they're about a three touchdown favorite last time I looked, uh, will be how they, how they bounce back for a back-to-back road trip and go to Michigan State. And then you've got Northwestern. And, and those are the kind of games where with what happened against Illinois, Nebraska now has to get one back. And that's, that's still possible. Am I worried long-term about how is Nebraska focusing on the right things is, is the question that kind of lingers for me. And I don't know the answer for that. I just know we haven't seen the evidence of it yet, but in season, you're game to game week to week. We'll see what happens. They can certainly play better than they played at Illinois, which I guess is the good news. That's the I-80 Preview Podcast for this week. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you like the show, remember to go out and uh, do your podcast chores. Rate and review the show. Tell a friend. Tell three enemies. Check out all of the shows on the Hale Varsity Network. We're producing a lot of content there. Uh, a lot for Husker fans to, to listen to and digest each week. And uh, if you're not already a subscriber, check us out. HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe. Uh, we'll see you out there. A Huda Media Production.